Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues the series titled Checkbox with part two, Check Wisdom. Have you ever made unwise decisions? Do you desire more wisdom? Where do you go for wisdom? James gives us great advice for what we should do when we need or want real wisdom. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We are in James chapter one. Uh, last week we started uh, a new series and the series has no name. <laughs> just has an icon, just has a graphic. It's a checked box. And you check a box for a variety of reasons. One is it represents something that you need. Or it can represent something that you want or that you already have. And as we talked about last week, James is not a doctrinal book. It's a practical application book. So we're walking through some real practical things, what we call Christianity with tennis shoes, how we really live out the Christian life in a practical way. And so the idea of the series is as, as we go through some of these practical elements, we can check the box. Either, yes, I have that, or yes, I want that, and I need that. Last week, we talked about joy, and we said basically that joy and trials go together even better than peanut butter and chocolate. Today, we're going to look at wisdom. I'm sure you've heard some of these phrases, you know, he's streetwise, or um, she's wise to the ways of the world. Or maybe you've heard the old remark, oh, he's a wise guy. This isn't the kind of wisdom we're talking about. We're going to look at a different kind of wisdom than that. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something unwise? Have you ever made an unwise decision? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of uh, examples I want to show you. Here's the first one. I don't know that how that's going to end up, but it's not going to be good. Look at this next one. <laughs> it took me a while to figure that out. He's actually mowing the hedges with his riding lawnmower held by a crane. Here's another one. This one tops it off. <laughs> I can't, that is unbelievable to me. You know, they're all dudes, by the way, if you notice that. <laughs> What's that old saying? This is why women live longer than men. That's not going to turn out very good. I've, over, over my life, I've made hundreds of bad decisions. I can remember in fifth grade, my parents took me to a miniature golf uh, course with some friends and said, don't leave this course. Stay here. We'll come back and get you. But we got through playing before they came and got us, so I just disobeyed, and I was going to walk home. The only problem with that is finally when my parents found me, I was a mile away from the golf course going the exact opposite way from my house. I had no idea how to get home. I'd gone the complete other direction. To top it off, when I got home, I was introduced to the rod of discipline as well. <laughs> my senior year in high school, I borrowed a friend's car, had a big engine and could, could move. And so I went to a dirt road with another friend and we kind of quasi-raced going about 80 or 90 miles an hour on this dirt road. It was so bumpy that I actually lost one of his hubcaps. It flew off of the tire. Now that I'm older, I realize that could have gone bad a hundred different ways. Later in life as an adult with the family, I went to a, a church and didn't do my due diligence. 
And when I got to the church, the pastor and I didn't jive. The theology didn't, drive, didn't jive. Uh, job description, it was a mess and it was a train wreck. So six months later, I resigned. No job, nowhere to go, no income. So I end up kind of messing up the family dynamic there for a while. So knowing we make unwise decisions, let me ask you this question. Do you desire more wisdom? Would that come in handy? I know it would for those guys, and it would for me as well. And that's what we're going to talk about. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, this verse is kind of broken up into, into four different phrases. And the first phrase simply says, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, this phrase has no qualifiers to it. It doesn't qualify what. In other words, it doesn't say if you lack wisdom in spiritual matters. Or if you lack wisdom in moral issues. Or if you lack wisdom in real life-changing, life-altering kinds of decisions. There's no qualifier to it. Several years ago... We had just paid off our number one car. We had a number two car that was really old and had been paid off. Finally paid off the number one car. And I was so excited because I was going to be able to use that money and use it for some other stuff. Well, two months in, my number two car has issues. And it's ended up going to cost me three or $4,000 to get it fixed. Well, the car wasn't even worth that much money. So now I've got the decision. Do I put this money in this car? It's not even worth it with no guarantee that once I do that, something else is going to jump up and it's going to be another three or 4,000. Or do I go ahead and make my number one car, my number two car and buy a number one car and end up with another car payment? Now that seems like a very small decision and issue compared to major issues we all encounter. But the dynamic is it works for those kinds of decisions. In other words, there's no qualifier here. When he says if anyone lacks wisdom, it's for any decision. It works on every issue, every decision. It doesn't matter how small or how big. And there's no qualifier to who. It says if anyone lacks wisdom. That word wisdom is understanding. One theologian defines wisdom as the attainment of worthy ends by the use of worthy means. Now, J.I. Packer, from his book, Knowing God, I think is the best definition of wisdom. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. In other words, his definition of wisdom is the power to see what's best, the inclination to choose what's best, and the means to actually attain what's best. Definition of wisdom. It says that if one lacks wisdom. So we could redefine this or, or retranslate this verse to say this. When you fall short of seeing and desiring and knowing what is the best decision, what do you do? Well, second phrase here says you should ask God. Now that sounds like a no-brainer. It sounds very simple, very basic, doesn't it? It sounds like we could almost finish the message here. But the reality is, that's often not what many of us do when we lack wisdom. Sometimes, when we lack wisdom, we won't admit that we lack wisdom. 
We know we don't have the wisdom for that decision, but we somehow have convinced ourselves that we do and we won't even admit it. It's kind of like men when we're driving and we're lost, we have no idea where we're going, but we won't admit it and we just keep on going. And eventually, I know I've done this, I'll end up in the worst part of town and Denise says, honey, you have no idea where you are. I said, I know exactly where I am. This is where I'm meant to be. I wanted to take the scenic route, you know. But spiritually speaking, we do the same thing sometimes. We don't have the wisdom that we need for whatever this issue is, but we won't admit it. So we try to figure it out on ourselves. Or we'll ask somebody else other than God. There have been times when I didn't know where to go, and Denise finally convinced me to go ask somebody. So I'd stop at a convenience store, and I went in and asked the clerk, and the clerk had no idea where I was going either. So it was a waste of time. But sometimes we don't go to a bad source. We go to a good source. It could be our spouse or our parents could be a pastor, it could be our banker, our, our attorney, a counselor, a good source, and all those are good sources that we should contact at times to get insight and counsel. But what James is trying to communicate here is asking God should be your first option, not your last option, not just another option among other options, but when you come to those places where you need wisdom and you lack wisdom, your very first concept and idea and thought is, I need to go to God and ask him, what should I do? So in order to ask God for wisdom, first, you have to realize you don't have it. And secondly, you have to understand that God is the one that has ultimate wisdom, that he's the one of supreme wisdom. Daniel 2.20 says, wisdom and power are God's. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. Psalm 104.24 said, In wisdom God made all creatures. Romans 11.33 says, The depth of the riches of God's wisdom is unsearchable. So we could translate this verse 5 if you do not feel like you have complete understanding on something. But you want it. Understand that God has it, so ask him. So that leads us to this third phrase, what happens when I ask God for wisdom? Verse 5 tells us, he gives generously to all without finding fault. So he gives generously. That word generously, it means without reserve. It means that he holds nothing back. I just read Romans eleven thirty three. 33. It says again that the depth of the riches of God's wisdom is unsearchable. The deepest part of our oceans is in the Pacific Ocean, and it's the Mariana Trench. And at the very bottom of that is what's called Challenger Deep. And it is 36,000 feet down. And they, they tell us that they are just now beginning to see and understand life down there. In other words, it's so deep, it's so far down, it's so unsearchable, if you will, that they're just now beginning to understand what's down there and what's going on down there. There's a great word picture for Romans eleven thirty three. 33. The depths of the riches of God's wisdom is unsearchable. It's so deep. It is so full. It is so rich. It's like just this huge ocean of wisdom that God has. 
And he says when we lack that wisdom and we ask God for that wisdom, he comes in this unsearchable depth of wisdom and he just starts piling it on. He just gives generously to us, gives us way more than we can ever handle. And it says he gives to all, not just to super saints. And he gives without finding fault. In other words, God will never condemn you or criticize you or ridicule you or judge you because you don't have the wisdom that you need. <laughs> he never looks at you and says, I can't believe you don't have. He, it, 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 he never comes from a condemnation standpoint. It's always out of grace and a desire to give you what you ask, finding no fault in that at all. It leads to the fourth phrase, which simply means he'll give it to you. He ends it with the promise. It's a promise. When you lack wisdom and you ask God for wisdom, it's a promise that he will give you the wisdom that you need. So, if you need wisdom for anything, for any decision, for any issue, ask God. But the cool thing is, the asking is not just about the answer. Because asking builds an instinctive dependence upon God. Asking builds an ongoing dependence upon God. Asking creates an ever-growing desire to hear from God. And asking matures and it deepens our relationship with God. It's, it's much bigger than just the asking. So James chapter 1 verse 5 is talking about godly wisdom, God-driven wisdom, God-given wisdom. In other words, it's the wisdom that comes from God. That's why we ask God. It's his wisdom. Now, if you'll flip over to James chapter 3, James introduces another kind of wisdom here. And he compares the two together, starting in verse 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In verse 15, he gives us two different types of wisdom, and he calls them really by three different names, if you will. He says it's earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom, or it's unspiritual wisdom versus spiritual wisdom, or it's wisdom of the devil versus wisdom of God. So here's my big question that I want us to really think about this morning. How do I know if I'm functioning in godly wisdom? You see, I can ask God, I can, I can lack wisdom, and I can ask God, I can kind of go through this process, but that doesn't mean I'm actually applying that wisdom, that it's actually connecting at all. So how do I know for sure that I'm functioning in godly wisdom? Well, he tells us here in the passage, and I want to break it down really to where we could ask four questions. 
If you want to know if you're functioning in the wisdom of God, you can ask yourself these four questions. And it's really four comparisons of this worldly wisdom versus this godly wisdom. And here's the first question. Is my decision based on what I want or what God wants? This issue I'm dealing with, what's going on? What's the desire, my motive? Is it so I can do what I want or is it to do what God wants? Verses 14 and 16 talk about bitter envy. That's really talking about jealousy and that is rooted in narcissism and hedonism and selfishness. It's all about what I want. I see something out there. I want to do something and I want to do it. So I'm going to do everything possible to be sure that I get to do it because it's what I want to do. We see this in Jesus' life in the garden. If you remember what's going on in the garden, he faces this very same dynamic. He's praying, Father, may this cup pass from me. Okay, it's a decision that Jesus has to make. Am I going to do what I want, which is what his flesh is saying, or am I going to do what God is calling me to do? So what does Jesus say? He says, not my will, but your will be done. That's the same dynamic that we have to come to on whatever this issue is. What's the motive? What's the desire? Is it because I'm trying to do something I want to do? Or is it something that God wants? That ties into the second question. They work together. And that is, am I trying to advance my agenda or advance God's agenda? Because those two aren't always the same. Am I trying to advance just on a personal agenda or God's agenda? Verses 14 and 16 also mention selfish ambition. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, there's not anything wrong with ambition. Not anything wrong with wanting to advance yourself, advance your career, whatever. There's nothing wrong with ambition. But there is a lot wrong with selfish ambition especially as a believer, because that begins to turn everything to, I have my agenda, so I'm going to disregard God's agenda. It's okay to have ambition, but we have to be sure that our, our ambition is wrapped within the will of God for our life and the ethic of God for the way we pursue that. That leads to the third question. They all tie together. The third one is, am I trying to manipulate the situation or trust God to work? Am I trying to manipulate stuff so I can make it work out the way I want it to work out? Or am I going to trust God? Look what verse 16 says. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find every evil practice. We could, we could change the dynamic here a little bit. When you make decisions based on what I want, envy, and to advance my agenda, then I'm going to begin to manipulate things. Because just think it through. If there's whatever's going on, whatever the issue is, whatever the decision is, I want what I want. I'm going to advance my agenda. So I want to make sure that happens. So I'm going to manipulate everything. If it looks like that's not going to come to fruition, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to help make it come to fruition. So it's really disregarding what God wants it's disregarding what God's going to do. It's taking it in my own control because I want to be sure it happens because this is the decision I want to make. So I'm going to manipulate everything rather 
then trust God. Here's, the, here's two problems with that. Number one, you're not trusting God. But number two, you may get what you want. <laughs> and it may be really bad. Anybody, that happened? It's happened to me a lot. I see some things I want, decisions I should make, and I act like I go through this spiritual routine of what God wants, but deep in my heart, I could care less what God wants because it's what I want. And so I continue to go full blast, full steam ahead, and I end up getting what I want. God said, okay. And it's a disaster because it wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't God's agenda for my life. That's what happens when you begin to manipulate. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, God catches the wise in their craftiness. And that word wise isn't godly wisdom. It's the worldly wisdom. It's our own wisdom. It's our own manipulation and thing that we can do. It says, God catches us in that craftiness. It doesn't mean he does something bad to us. He doesn't entrap us. What it means is we get to reap the consequences of that. If we want to live that way, God will say, okay, (laughs) you can have what you want but you're going to realize it was something that you really didn't want. So that's why as a believer we should trust God and not manipulate his work. Because here's the deal. God has supreme wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It's godly wisdom. That's why we're asking him because he understands the big picture. And so when we will go to him with whatever the issue He will unveil that and reveal that to us. And if we will trust him with the decision, it's going to work out. Because the problem sometimes is we really know what God's saying, but we don't like that answer. But in reality, it's going to be the best thing because it's his wisdom and it's going to work out. So we don't manipulate. All that leads to the fourth question. And this is really where it all comes together and gives us even a deeper picture of what James is trying to communicate. The fourth question is this. Am I pride-driven or humility-driven? What's characterizing my life? What's driving the decisions and the issues? Is it pride or is it humility? Look in verse 13. He asked the question, who is wise? Then he basically answers it. Let him show show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, he's asking the question, okay, who's wise? And here he's talking about who's walking in godly wisdom? Who who is functioning in godly wisdom? Well, he gives us some insight. I can show you who is. Who's living the good life? Who is walking in humility? That comes from wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is when you're walking in godly wisdom, that wisdom is going to produce humility. And so if your life is being driven by your pride, you're not walking in godly wisdom because godly wisdom produces humility. So he's kind of answering his own question. So what does this good life look like? Well, he answers that here in verse 17. He gives us some descriptors, some characteristics of what this humility-driven life looks like. He says it's pure. There's no hidden agendas. There's no selfish ambition taking place. It's, it's purity of motive and action. It's peace-loving. 
They love to resolve conflicts. They don't want to create conflicts. Consider it. They're very gentle, very respectful toward other people. They're submissive. They're not unduly stubborn, bullheaded, full of mercy. They always lean toward forgiveness and compassion. They're fruitful. They produce good things from their life. They're impartial. They're not prejudiced. They're sincere. They're very genuine. There's no deception. So basically what he's saying when he asks who is wise, he's basically saying the person who embodies these characteristics. They are functioning in godly wisdom. Here's the, the most exciting part of this whole, this whole passage. When you ask God for wisdom, you get way more than you ever asked for. I read this week, this lady um, purchased at a nominal price a little painting that she put up in her kitchen. And I don't know how long she had it, but she didn't pay anything for it, but was sitting in her kitchen for a period of time. Finally, she just discovers or thinks, I need to see if this is worth anything because she saw a little religious icon as a part of this painting. So she takes it to an appraiser. And come to find out, the painting was painted by a 13th century Florentine artist. And the painting was called Christ Mocked, or the Mocking of Christ. <laughs> well, come to realize, the appraiser said, this painting is worth six and a half million dollars. That's not the end of the story. She takes it to auction. She sells it at auction for $26.8 million dollars. This little painting that she paid nothing for sitting in her kitchen, it's worth $26 million. She got way more than she ever bargained for with that. That's the way it is with wisdom. When we ask for the wisdom of God, we get way more than wisdom for that decision. Proverbs 3.13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Because wisdom is more profitable than silver, it yields better returns than gold. Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it costs you all that you have. God's wisdom does more than give us input for a decision. God's wisdom helps put life in perspective. It helps us understand what life is really all about. Godly wisdom changes your life. It not only affects your intellect and your decision-making, but it affects your heart and your character and your attitude. It's not simply about your mind. It's about your whole mindset. The reason that we need to ask God and desire God for his wisdom is because his wisdom is not just about our decisions. It's about our life. He doesn't simply give us input for our decision that we're asking for. But he infuses our life with his wisdom and it affects every single aspect of our life. It completely changes us as we live out his wisdom. I have one closing thought for you. In scripture, we don't have time to, to really get into this. But in Scripture, Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. Jesus is 
God's wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 says, In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 calls Christ the wisdom of God. So in this context, ultimate wisdom, God's wisdom is impossible apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we understand that Jesus is ultimate wisdom, it puts a whole different perspective on some of these verses. It changes the whole dynamic. It doesn't erase what we've just talked about. It just gives it even deeper meaning. For example, when we, Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Let's just talk about Jesus. Let's transfer that and say, Jesus is supreme. Therefore get Jesus, though it costs you all that you have, get Jesus. And even our James chapter 1, verse 5 passage, let's, let's change it. If any of you lacks Jesus, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding any fault, no condemnation, and you'll be given him. So one, if you're here without Jesus Christ, there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. There's never been that time in your life when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, realizing what he's done on the cross for you. That's step one to godly wisdom, is to receive Jesus Christ, ultimate wisdom. In a moment, we'll sing together. We'll have prayer partners around. If you'd like to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ, we would love to talk to you. But the second one is, am I functioning in godly wisdom. And the whole point this morning for you is that each of us who knows Christ, that we would seek and desire and utilize the wisdom of God. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship at Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.